What's going on, everybody? Turn your volume all the way up because you are now listening to another brand new episode of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. Today is a great topic. It's probably one of the most essential shows and interviews to listen to because in my opinion, it is one of the most essential keys to success in life. So I hope you all enjoy it. However, before we get into the good stuff, I have a few things I want to go over. Number one, check out the social media pages at TBOTBpod. Depending on when this episode goes live, the Wagyu giveaway still may be going on. If it is not, check out the Wagyu Plug's Instagram at the Wagyu Plug because we will be having our own Wagyu giveaway. And if you've missed last episode or two episodes ago, whenever this one does go live, There was a Wagyu giveaway from a company that I am a partner in called the Wagyu Plug. So just go check it out on Instagram, but you can find the show on pretty much all social media platforms. Again, the username is usually at TBOTBpod. Number two, I definitely sound like a broken record, but always look and play with the website because if a guest has something that you find value in, you can find their contact info on the website. The website is tbotbpod.com. We try and keep everything pretty universal and simple so it's easy to remember. And last but not least, number three, the discussions on this podcast are for informational purposes only. I cannot predict and do not guarantee that you will attain a particular result from the information provided. You should always seek professional assistance before making decisions in connection with the topics discussed. Now, before we go into the interview, because of who the interview is with today, I have another disclaimer that I have to legally give you all, and that is securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC, Racy and Co. is not a broker or a dealer. Now, it's time for the interview and make sure you're listening. And I'll say this at the end, but you're probably going to want to listen again because of the amount of information we talk about and because of the importance of it all. So let's get right into it. On today's show, I have Joe Racy who is the principal of a financial planning firm, Racy & Co., which is an independent office through Raymond James. Welcome to the best of the best, Joe. How are you? Thank you so much, Maverick, for inviting me for your show. I hear great things about your shows and uh, it's a great honor to be here. I'm excited to have you on the show and we hit it off on the phone on our initial call because this is such an important topic that necessarily isn't taught in any level of education unless you're going in and you're going to be studying what we're going to be talking about. But before we get into the trenches or what I always call the nitty gritty of our conversation of financial advising, I'd like to go over some background questions about yourself so that the guests can get to know you a little bit better and can establish a little more personal relationship with you. And if they're listening, they say, hey, I need a financial advisor. Now they know a little bit about you. They feel like they have a relationship with you. So where did you grow up, Joe? Well, that's a Great question, Maverick. And, you know, I am what I call the American dream. I came to U.S. when I was 14 years old. at finished high school uh, right around 13 and a half. And my dad decided that I need to leave the country and come to the United States. Well, long story short, I had a dream that I wanted to become a doctor. He had a dream. He wanted me to become uh, civil and electronic engineer, because that was his background. Yeah. Long story short with that, he sent me out of the country. I was born in Tehran. So in the se- 1977, revolution had started against the Shah. So my dad basically decided to send me out of the country by myself, got to United States, got to Florida, and I had to go to Eckerd College, which is an English school, to learn to speak English and write and read. After finishing that, I ended up going to University of South Florida. So that's how I became to be where I am today. Nice. You know, that's an awesome story. And I didn't obviously know that about you. But what I find very cool about that, and I know some of the listeners will be inspired by that, is we have a lot of listeners in other countries. We chart in and out of the top 200 in the entrepreneurship category in about nine different countries. And I actually brought on 
a guest two weeks ago or three weeks ago, forgive me if that's off, that actually was someone that was a prime example of the American dream because I wanted to inspire others that may be living in countries and they want to come to the U.S. and they want to hear success stories. So I appreciate you sharing that. It's such a weird coincidence that you said those words and you said that because I literally just had a whole episode dedicated to that topic. But Ferline, so you said one of the questions I have for you was, what did you think that you were going to be when you were a little kid and growing up? What was your inspiration? And now I know that was to be a doctor. So how did you end up in the financial advising industry in, in that field? Well, you know, a lot of time you really don't know what's going to happen next. So I started as civil and electronic engineer at USF for one year. Second year, uh, my dad couldn't send me any more money to pay for my tuition and school and my room and board. So I ended up having to get a job. So I was almost 16. I became a busboy in a restaurant. And immediately, the management decided to move me to a waiter. As I was waiting on these people's table, there was a couple of gentlemen would come in and spend a lot of money. I asked them what they did for a living. And each one of them back then, they were called stockbrokers. And they said, we're stockbrokers. I'm like, what is a stockbroker? So basically, they share with me the finance, the economics, and, and the future opportunities that is in that industry. Well... I decided I'm going to change my degrees. So I went ahead and changed for a third time to finance and economic. So basically, that's how I got into the business. I was naive, I was young, and I was ambition, and I wanted to get somewhere. And I realized early in my life that you got to have currency. Money is valuable. You don't want to fall in love with money, but you got to have it in order to maintain your lifestyle. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that statement anymore. But now let's go into some general questions. And for all of you listeners out there, before we do that, I want to backtrack for one second and just say how you just heard a successful businessman talk about how he was sort of lost in school and he changed his major and he changed what his path of life was going to be. And he didn't know, like you said, you never know what's going to end up happening. And I think that Joe, for you to know that a lot of the listeners of the show are of a younger generation and it's okay to not know what you want to do at a certain point and it's okay to change the track and find where you seem your interests are. So know that that's okay because look at Joe, he's sitting here and he's one of the best of the best in the industry. So I wanted to give that little advice for everyone, but now let's go into some general questions for you, Joe. What do you wish you knew about finances when you were in your early 20s? Well, that's a great question, Maverick. I think that's in general for every kid, every young adult is understanding value of money, learning that you have to live below your means, not above your means. I remember I wanted to buy a brand new car. I was 18 years old and um, I went back and forth didn't have any credit. I wanted to buy that Corvette because it was a good-looking car. It was convertible. I figured I'll pick up a lot of girls with, with that car, and I'll be the famous guy in, in the campus. Well, fortunately, I didn't have a credit. So the credit company says, we can't sell you this car, so you need to get yourself a smaller car. So I ended up buying a Honda Civic, had no air condition in Florida, and I had just started my practice, and the guy said, are you sure you want to buy this car? I said, well, I only have $1,000. What can I buy? So the story with that is sometimes we want to live above our means. There is old saying, and I think a guy named uh, Dave Ramsey said it many years ago. He says, live like no one else. So later on, you could live like no one else. And amazingly, that really makes sense because if you start putting money aside in a young age, you can have a successful life. You just have to be patient and it's a gradual process. It's not getting rich overnight. It's one step at a time. I always say the elevator to success is broken. You might have to use the steps to get up there. Yeah, and the steps are, it's a very high skyscraper 
So you're, you're going to need to strap on your boots and be ready for that. No, but I love that advice to not live out of your means, to live under your means. I love that quote. I have never heard it before, but that's a great transitioning point, what you brought up about saving money at an early period. So my next question for you is how important is it for young adults to start saving money at an early period in their life and why? Great question again. I think, uh, again, going back, if we can just start putting... 10% aside of our income, but take it from the top. Normally, everybody has a habit of paying everything else and forgetting about themselves. End of the day, if you're putting 40, 50 hours a week, you need to pay yourself something. Not just pay the power bill, not just pay the cell phone company, not just pay the rent or the mortgage or the car payment. You got to put money aside for yourself. Because end of the day, you might want to take a vacation, you want to buy something fun, you want to do something great. So you have to have that extra money to be able to do that. So really that comes up with, again, uh, there's an old saying, say rule of 80-20, you put away 20 and you spend 80% of your paycheck. If you can do that, you're going to have a great future. That's great advice. I've heard the same split, 80-20 split. And I think that it goes a long way. And I think at my age, because I'll always give my perspective from a situation or a certain standpoint, is that you, I just had an episode, Joe, about college and, and my college experience and my advice to others. And in college, you see people spending their money and I'm, I will never be one to tell anyone how to spend their money, but you see people that don't have the financial ability to be going to the bars every night and to be buying bars and paying for cover. And instead they are doing that because that's what everyone else around them is doing. So I think that the rhetoric needs to be more of, we need Joe to come and talk to every college around the country and say, hey, listen, this is how you should try and live your life. I'll never tell you what to do, but this is the success rate that I've seen with putting away money aside at a young age and that it really does work and that it really is valuable. So listen, any colleges that are listening to this, you better pick up the phone and call Joe so he can tell them and help out the student body there. But Joe, how does the stock market work? If you had to explain it to a classroom of elementary kids, the most basic way possible. How does the stock market work? So basically, when you look at stock market, is really that's almost like a auction. So when when you look at the whether it's Nasdaq or any of the organization that you go through, whether you you buy it directly online, there is always somebody that has a share of stock, and so the buyer basically plays a bid and the seller offers asking price. I know it's kind of confusing the bid and the ask, but in a simple way that I could explain that, uh, stock market is basically an auction, uh, like going buying something at uh, uh, eBay when they have an auction for uh, certain items. Uh, somebody owns that item and they want this price and you make a bet on it. You say, okay, I'll pay this price for it. Somebody else comes and makes another offer on it. So, and that's really how the stock market works. Now we have what we call a uh, National Association of Security, which is automated quotation system, which is NASDAQ that we refer to. And that's where everything gets put in. And firms like my firm, Raymond James, and other firms, they basically do automated systems. So if, if you're dealing directly with, with like E-Trade or any of these organizations that you could do yourself, they have a clearing firm that they do all the buy and selling on your behalf. Now, you pay a fee for that when you buy and you pay a fee when you sell. So that's something that you have to pay attention on the cost and the duration of how long you're going to keep these stocks. So, and, you know, uh, the other thing you have to look at the, when you're looking at the stock market, you really have to pay attention to what type of stock you're buying. You know, you've got penny stock, for example, which is most volatile stocks you could buy. And that's typically a 
stock that is below $5 a share. Uh, you know, so you, you've got to decide what kind of investor you want to be and how do you want to buy it. Now, just to keep going with that, if you don't want to buy individual stocks, you could buy what is known as a mutual funds, which you basically have a company that hire an investment advisor on your behalf, and they'll choose what stocks they want to put in in their portfolio. And they'll manage that on your behalf. And of course, you pay a fee for that. Now, years ago, they came out with a clone, which is called exchange trade funds, which is another type of stock you could buy. Now, that one is a between mutual fund and stock is a clone. What does that mean? Basically, it trades like a stock, but it acts like a mutual fund. Again, you want to have an ETF company that offers their portfolio and you can invest with them and they'll buy and sell in essence on your behalf. Got it. Oh, wow. You just ran through the whole gig there for sure. So I, I appreciate that rundown. That was a very good, simple way to put everything. But I want to go back to a few things for a second. The first thing I want to touch on is when you go to buy a stock, you were talking about a fee. Is that fee only when you're doing it on your own, like an E-Trade account? Or is that fee also happen when Joe is my financial advisor and he buys stock for me? Again, great question on expense side of the buying anything, there's always an expense that you got to pay if you buy. Whether you do it through the discount brokerage houses or you buy it from national firm. Now, if you do it yourself, you do it online, there is an internal expense of fees that is added to your purchase price. And you'll pay that directly to the clearing firm. And a lot of time you hear XYZs doing free buy or sell, which is not really fact. Nobody in this country works for free. I hate to tell you that. There is always an expense. It's just not disclosed clearly to the individual they're buying. Now, when you're dealing with advisors, uh, there are several top advisors are out there. You have basically what we're considering a fee-based advisor, which they, they become your fiduciary, and they'll basically charge you a management fee to manage your portfolio. Or you have an advisor that do what we call them a transaction. So they'll buy and they'll charge you a commission. And when you sell, they charge you a commission again. So you make that decision, what is best that meets your goal and your objective. Got it. Okay. And then again, going back when you say, and when I shouldn't say you say, when we talk about investing into a stock, what does that mean? You're investing it into the portion of the company. You own a part of the company. And to bounce off that, I'll sort of throw a loaded question at you. Do you have to buy a whole share, right? Someone always says, oh, I have a share of, of this stock or I have a share of that stock. Does that mean that you're buying the full price of a share or can you buy a portion of a share? Will you break that down for the listeners? Sure. Again, Maverick, great question. So when you invest in a market, particular company, if his company is a public company, they need new cash coming in for their future growth or whatever the board director had made a decision to run that company. So they'll go publicly and they trade their shares. Uh, you hear that IPO, you, you hear that initial public offering. So some companies they basically do an IPO. Some companies, they've been constantly offering their shares, so it is always a, is a market for their stocks because they've been trading it on an exchange floor. So with that said, when you buy a sh anything in any company, you become part of the owner of that company. You own share of the company because you're buying stocks. Now, if you bought bonds, you're lending mon money to that company. You're a lender because you're investing in the bond side of the uh, market, not in the stock side of the market. So there is the differential uh, point between stock and a bond. So we have to pay attention to that. Now, there are several type of stocks that is out there. You, you basically have have, you know, large company stocks, you have mid-sized company stock, you have small company stock, and of course you have your penny stocks. So you really have to pay attention to the risk you're willing to take, and that will give you basically a model to invest in. So you choose whether you want to be aggressive 
If you're aggressive, you invest in a small company. So going back again to your question, can you buy part of this stock? There are companies out there for young investors that you could do that. You know, now when you go with the national firm, you have to buy full shares. So you really have to pay attention. There are companies out there online, they'll have you come in and invest with them and you go basically in a pool and they ba- invest on your behalf and you will get partial share off in a stock for a young investor that does not have enough money to buy XYZ stock because that stock is trading at over $1,000 a share and they don't have that money. So you could basically buy a piece of that one share of that one company. So there's opportunity everywhere. Got it. And I always like to bring in examples just to make the education for the listeners a little more basic and for myself to make sure I understand everything. So a share, let's think about it like a pie, a full pie. A share is you taking a slice of that pie and saying, okay, I now own part of this pie and this is my slice of it. Is that a way to put it? Absolutely. So yeah, companies decide how many shares they want to sell when they do an IPO. And from that moment, after they become public company, now those shares is, uh, like I mentioned earlier, stock market is like an auction. So those shares constantly change hands. So institution will buy some of it, investment firm buy some of them, individual buys them, and then some people decide to sell them. So it's a constant buy and sell that would make that stock valuable and volatile based on what goes on in, in a market. Got it. And so the NASDAQ, again, I know you briefly touched upon it, but what is the NASDAQ and what is its function? Just so we can focus on that for a second. So really, that's an automated quotation. So NASDAQ stands for National Association of Securities Automated Quotation. Back in the old days, they had a chart board and they would track the stocks because, you know, there was only a few stocks back in the early 1900. So, uh, you know, Dow Jones Industrial Average, you know, was mainly one of the first system that was out there. But since then, with the technology, with the computer, with internet, you know, all the new things that we have, we, everything is automated. So to give you another understanding is back in the old days, companies will issue a stock certificate. So today's world is all, everything is done computerized electronically. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. I appreciate that breakdown. Again, as you can tell, I'm sure this is just very basic, simple stuff because I think a lot of times people my age and and in the age range of the listeners to the show are maybe fearful to ask these questions because they don't want to seem like they don't know what they're talking about. So I always like to ask the questions that people are maybe fearful or embarrassed or anxious to ask and feel like they should know. So I appreciate that breakdown. But now let's talk about CAPS. First, what is a cap? When someone says this company has a large cap, they have a small cap, what does that mean? So that's another great question. So when you look at the size of the company, you're looking at their revenue. It's based on their revenue, they're falling in, in several categories. So you again, you have large company stock, which is known as your blue chip stocks. Uh, you have mid-cap company stocks, which historically would be $5 billion to $10 billion revenue. Then you have your small company stocks. Now, to get a little farther on that, you have growth stock, you have value stocks, you have blend stock. So really, when you look at large company, you could have a large company that is oriented in a value stock. You have a large company that invests in growth stocks, and then you have large company that invest in a blend stocks. So it's really, when you look at the most common one that I tell young investors, look at the Morningstar boxes, and they'll pretty much, they break down for a young investor or any investor to understand the difference. To go a little farther than that, I'll give you a better explanation. Assume you and I and another person are looking for a piece of real estate and we all three drive in the same street, and we all want to invest in that street because there is opportunities. So if I'm the value stock, I'm going to purchase the cheapest house on that street because I'm going to fix it up, 
for potential future sell. If you are a large company stock, you're going to go and buy the best house in that street because you feel everybody's going to keep up with you and you got the best, the largest, the nicest house in that street. The blend guy, which is our third partner, he's going to buy not the cheapest one, not the best one. He's going to go right in the middle. And that's really kind of gives you an idea how these three different companies work in the world. Now, to make it even more exciting, you have domestic, then you have international. So you can basically invest on both sides when you get opportunities. Okay, got it. That makes sense. And and I know you briefly touched upon penny stocks, but I want to make sure that the understanding is there and that we didn't breeze over it too quickly. But is what makes a penny stock a penny stock because of the company is not worth as much money? Or what makes a penny stock a penny stock? Well, historically, normally, some, any company has to start some point to start a practice, whether, you know, they're selling pens or they're selling paper, they're selling chips, anything that they are doing. So they're going to start some point to get their company in general public so that people can invest. So based on the size and the volume that they do, they have a price for their stock. So if the company is considered to be a penny stock, their volume is not there to bring them up in the regular exchange. So they basically, they trade in a smaller market and that's anything below $5 today is considered to be a penny stock. Okay, got it. That makes sense. I honestly, I was not in the know about that either, which is why I wanted more clarification on that. So I appreciate that as well. So moving on, we talked about ETFs and we talked about stocks and shares, but how do you find news? If you had to recommend like, hey, here's the news website I use to learn more about stocks or learn learn more about emerging companies, what would your recommendation be for that? Like where can someone go if they're looking, you know, maybe they're in college and they're looking to possibly invest, where can they go to learn more about the companies that they can possibly purchase shares in? Well, there's so many different channels out there that opportunity of getting information to internet. I mean, there is so many publications, uh, you know, there's hundreds of them. It's crazy. There's so many individuals basically even selling you their newsletter and they'll give you some ideas what to buy, when to buy, how to buy. So if I were to give you any particular one, I think anything is good. There's, I mean, knowledge is power. So if you have the time as a young listener to Maverick Show, I would encourage you figure out what do you like uh, and around you. What do you use normally? Are you, if you play games, uh, what type of game you play on online? And start searching that company. Check their background. See how long they've been in business. What is their price per earning ratio? Uh, what has been their moving average? Uh, just a little small thing. So there's really not a one I can give you, Maverick, or to your listeners. I think there's so many of them out there. You know, basically, I get almost seven to 10 companies every morning, they send me the news. And I spend two hours every morning before even I come to the office to read these newspapers, which is why we call them white paper and is all online. And I study these individuals, their opinion of what the market is going to do today, what it has done last night, and really just continue watching those. And really, uh, for a young investor, I would encourage them, find a company that you like. I'm just going to use, for example, if you're drinking Coca-Cola, for example, check Coca-Cola out, see where they are, where they've been, where are they going, you know, and those are all public news. You could just Google their name, and you basically get all the information you need, and you just type in Coca-Cola call a stock and that's all you got to do or you know if you want to go Amazon or you know there's so many companies out there it's amazing what we have out there and it just information is good is not expensive what I always say is is the action what it takes you've got to take the next step and what is the next step is what you brought up at the beginning you know putting money aside you know making sure you you're doing it Every week, not just once every six months, not, you know, 
and I, I'm going to repeat myself, but I'm going to say it, that a lot of time young people, they pay everything else before they pay themselves. You really need to have what I call a spending plan, not a budget. Budget is like a diet. Nobody likes to go on a diet. You know, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's really a lifestyle. Choose your lifestyle. What do you want to be when you when you get a little older? Because, you know, I used to be your age, Maverick. I'm almost, you know, I'm, I'm 59 years old. So, and I grew up in this industry, and I see the opportunities from my clients, what they've done, where they are, where they are today. And it wasn't by accident. They planned for these things ahead of the time. You really got to set your goals. Set up a goal. Set up a realistic goal, but reach high. Don't just go shy. Just look for sky. Say, okay, you know, I want to be this person at this age, at this point in my life, and I'm going to have this amount of asset in my portfolio. And work at it day by day, and you can achieve that. But it's a step-by-step process, and it's a constant repetition, and it's almost like going to a gym. You know, if you want to stay healthy, you want to work out. And you want to make sure what you put inside of you is proper for what you do when you go to the gym. So those are the things that I believe is going to help anybody, no matter what age we are. We've got to constantly monitor our spending habit. And then, of course, with that, we are going to be successful in everything we do. You know, Joe, I absolutely love everything you just said. I think the advice... For all of you listeners, once this episode is done, because there's so much information, go back and listen again. I know I usually say that at the end, but we are about halfway through the interview and there is just so much valid and valuable information that you can learn from and you can utilize to set yourself up for you know a possible success story because nothing is guaranteed. That's why I have disclaimers on the show, but you can at least do what the best of the best thinks is the best and pick up the phone and call Joe. Those two hours of morning that he spends reading and researching is what on the show, Joe, I always talk about due diligence. And that is Joe doing his due diligence. You all know if you're a regular listener how often I speak about the importance of making sure that in whatever you do in life, you do your due diligence. And Joe is doing that every single morning before he even steps into his office to try and help his clients in the best way that he can. So Again, Joe, I appreciate the answer. I appreciate the advice for the younger generation, for the listeners of the show. But let's go into some more specific questions while we have a a little bit left and we're about halfway through the interview. Let's talk about the rule of 72. This is something that has always fascinated me. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's where your money can double in a certain amount of time. Can you explain how that works to the listeners? Absolutely. I think that's really a a simplified formula that basically you calculate how long it takes for an investment to double in value. So higher interest rate that you earn, you will end up growing your money faster. You know, just for example, if you put your money in a certificate of deposit and you're earning, if you're fortunate today, you can earn 4% on a CD which you can't, I hate to say it, is not there. But we say, let's say you're earning 4%. You take 72 and divide that by four. Maverick, what would that be? 42 divided by four, you're asking the wrong no, person seven, there. You're asking the wrong person. No, I'm teasing you, brother. It's but okay. it would be 18. 18, you got it. Good job. So if you're earning 4% on your money, and you have $10,000 in your certificate of deposit, it's going to basically take you 18 years to double that. Now, let's assume you earn 8%. So basically, again, you take 72 divided by 8. Now, you double your money in nine years. Yep. And you basically quadruple your money in 18 years. Wow. So that's the difference. That is what makes a difference. So and that's you have the power to... of that's the not to interrupt you. That's the power of time to all the listeners. You all, uh, a lot of you are young, and whether you have a little bit of money to put away or a lot of money to put away, that is the value of time. The value of time is so important. It's something that was taught to me from a very young age. And setting money aside or making investments 
is the power of time you can never get back. You can never be 45 years old and say, oh, now I'm going to start saving. Well, you could say that, but then you you lost a good amount of time that prior to that where you could have been saving money and doubled and tripled. And you just saw the math that Joe put me on the spot there that he was trying to have me do some mental math, but good thing I had a little handy calculator in front of me to help me out. But you see the power of time and the importance of it. So make sure that you really are utilizing your financial means in the best way that you can. And what I mean by that is making sure that you are putting money away as early as possible in your life because it has such great power to it. And I think uh, Joe would agree with that. 100%. 100%. Just to add to that, I always say, uh, Maverick, that the most expensive commodity in our life is our time. You can never replace it. Never. Yesterday's history. Yeah, and it's something that money can't buy. Can't that you can't buy it, and it's the one thing I think people undervalue is time, especially with technology. You can sit there and get lost, and time goes by, and two, three hours later, you're sitting there, like, what the hell did I just waste three hours doing? And oh, well, I was really doing nothing. It's the value of time. You all really need to understand. It took me a while to even understand it. I'll be honest, but once you learn it and understand it, you realize that wow, the value of time is something that is very, very important. Well said. Thank you. I appreciate that. So moving on here, I have a question and I always do notes and questions. There's no scripts to the show, but the question is, as I'm sitting here looking at it, is why is it vital to make smart investments throughout life? And I don't know, I looked over these questions last night. I looked over them again this morning before we recorded. And I don't know that I love the question, but because I don't know, and this is, I guess I'm changing the question a little bit, is do you think that there are smart slash safe investments throughout life or there's no such thing? Well, I think you're bringing up a good question. And the question is, what is smart? I think one of the things I was fortunate, Maverick, when I started my practice, I was really I was a kid. I was 18 years old. You know, I started training, getting internship, and getting the business. By the time I was 20, I was quote to quote retirement specialist, and I was setting up retirement plan or working with retirees. So the greatest thing that I've learned, and this is what why when you ask me if I would be able to communicate uh, online, you know, with your listeners, and I'd love to do that because the fact is we don't know everything. But there are people do. We need to find those people. We need to find a role model. We need to find a mentor. You know, somebody that is successful, somebody that, you know, done the things that you want to do some point and learn from them. Ask them, what was your mistakes? What did you learn from those mistakes? Because somebody told me many years ago, there's too many mistakes in the world. And Joe, you're not going to have enough time to do all of it. So learn from other people's mistakes and don't repeat it. You and that's what, really Joe? what I would advise. Yes. Every single guest that comes on the show, I, would, I shouldn't say every single one. I'd say 98%. This is one of the interviews that's not because we're so focused heavy into a certain topic and more of an educational conversation. I ask every successful person that comes on the show that I can is what failure did you have in life and how did you get up and how did you learn from it? Because I think failure, mistakes are not talked about enough and you only hear really success stories. You don't hear about the failures that someone had to go through before getting to that high level of success. So I love that you brought that up. Good question. And to add to that, Maverick, I don't look at it as a failure because when you start looking at things in a negative way, it brings you down. I'll look at when you fall down is an opportunity. When that call that you made and that person didn't do what you asked them to purchase from you or didn't make that appointment, is not a failure. It's just an opportunity to go to the next one. So, you know, that's really what life is. Life is full of opportunity. It's not what happens. It's what do you do when that happens? Do you stand up? Do you move on? Or do you quit? Do you say, okay, I'll throw the towel. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm tired because I can't make it happen. But that's not the fact. Is learn from it and don't repeat yourself because there is all saying, what is the definition of insanity is basically doing the same thing, hoping getting different result. And that's not going to happen. 
So you've got to fine tune what you do. And like I said earlier, find a mentor, find somebody that you can be comfortable with, that they can help you and direct you where you need to be when you want to get there. Got it. I love that. I absolutely love that. And you brought up earlier about retirement plans, and I want to touch on that. I know there's many different types of retirement plans, but what I will ask you is, what is the importance of saving up and actually putting money and funding and maxing out a retirement plan for whichever one you choose? There's many of them, and I hopefully will bring Joe back on to talk about and break down all of them. But today I wanted to focus on just more the general stuff, but why is that so important that people are you know, maxing out their 401ks and maxing out their Roth accounts? Why, why is that important? Well, you mentioned it earlier, compounded effect. So we can buy investment systematically. So if you're doing a payroll retirement plan to your company and they deduct in money from your paycheck, so every month you're purchasing individual stocks or mutual funds or ETF. And again, market moves up and down. So every time you buy something, you buy it for that price, but the following month it might go up. Or if it does go down, you buying the same share for lower price. So it's, it's an averaging price that you're doing for yourself. And the next thing obviously is tax advantage. There is tax opportunity in retirement plan that you could plan for. So there's several fold when you talk about retirement plan, and that is obviously learning to put money aside for future and be taking advantage of tax strategy that IRS is allowing us to use these retirement plans. Absolutely. And I'll give a little plug to myself and my family's business. If you do want some help tax planning and working with a financial advisor and a tax person, you can absolutely call our office 800-TAX-LEVY or visit our website levytaxhelp.com. We are here to service you for all your tax needs and you will feel like you are our only client as that is what we do best as we specialize in making you feel right at home. But moving on with the interview, Joe, if someone has some cash, right? The old saying, I have some cash in the closet in a shoebox. What is the best thing that someone can do with that money that they've just saved up? Maybe they've been taking a few 20s every week and throwing it in there. However, they've gone about their saving and they're realizing like, holy crap, now I have a significant amount of money, whatever that is to that person. And I want to go to a financial advisor and maybe do that. Would you think that's the best thing to do? Or I think a lot of the times, especially, you know, being in the tax world, people have this money that they've just accumulated that's cash and they don't really know what to do with it. So I always want to hear your opinion on something like that. Good question. So going back from rules that I always followed, and I'll recommend that to anybody that I meet or work with, uh, you need to have emergency money. So you really need to put some money for emergency, and that's typically, we say, four to six months of your monthly needs. So you've got to have that in cash, in the bank. Don't put it in your shoebox, like Maverick said, because <laughs> God forbid, what if you know somebody breaks into your house? You know, We don't want to worry about that. So definitely, as a young listeners, make sure you have your emergency money put aside you got to have it. That's kind of like your insurance. A lot of times people say, well, if I put it in a bank, Maverick, I don't get any interest. It's okay. That's the price of the insurance you pay, basically, because if you need money, you, you have that money already in your emergency bucket. So that's your one bucket that you're going to have. So the next part would be, okay, after you have that emergency money, what's next? So if you want to invest in anything, I would encourage you, if you don't have a retirement plan uh, through your company, you could set yourself a retirement plan. It's called IRA. So you could set up an IRA and that you could start with a small amount and gradually add to it on a monthly basis. So that's your next option. Now, let's assume you already have a retirement plan at work, but you're still looking for another option. Well, and I don't know whether you own a home, you rent a home. So that's another thing we're going to start thinking about. Okay, do I need to buy a house? Do I want to buy a house? Or should I just pay rent? So 
you know, I, and I don't know whether you talk a lot about this, Maverick, but I'm going to touch just a little bit with it. With the cost of rents going so high, and of course, at the same token, the price of real estate has gone up crazy over the last 18 to, to 22 months in, in it's insane. Florida. Is It is. It really is. And there is a lot of shortage going on. So you really got to start looking around and do your homework, you know, just constantly looking at different websites and find out what's out there. And, and don't go and buy something that your parents have. You know, start small. Small condo is fine, you know. Anything that you could, you know, small amount, and invest in that if that's possible. When you start that process, now you could start thinking about, okay, I have additional money. What do I do with that money? Well, now we look at, okay, if you have children, how about a 529, which is a college fund? You want to fund their college fund. So that's another option you have. And then, of course, at the end, if you still have additional money, now you could buy individual stocks. Like I said earlier, you pick up what company you like, you follow that company, and then you say, okay, I want to put so much money in this company or this company. Or you can hire an advisor to help you, to direct you which avenue you want to go. So you have a lot of options for investing. It's just really, and I hate to tell you, Maverick, it's not a cookie cutter. So financial planning, investment is based on you individual, your character, your family system set up. If you're a single person, you're a couple. If you have a family with children, it's all different. So really, you need to start figuring out where you want to be in the next 20 years and work it. Yeah, I love everything you said. And I think something I'll bring out and highlight once again is the idea of buying versus renting. I am always an advocate if someone has the means to buy somewhere and buy a place to live, absolutely buy. Because to me, rent is you're just lining someone else's pockets. But of course, not everyone can afford to buy, which I absolutely understand. But at the end of the day, do what you can do to save up money to buy a place so that at the end of the day, what you're paying into monthly is going into an ownership that one day you will own free and clear and not going into someone else's ownership that they will own free and clear because of you. So I always like to throw that out there because you know, renting. I rented a place for three years in college and it killed me because it was, I didn't own it. I was just paying someone else and I did, I hated it. But at the end of the day, you do what you have to do. Sometimes you're forced in a position where you're not going to buy somewhere that you're going to be living temporarily. So it just depends, you know, maybe you are going to buy somewhere you're living temporarily, but that's something I wanted to bring out and and highlight. And I also want to bring out another thing is you called an emergency fund. I call it a rainy day fund, the same thing. It's so important for all you listeners out there to have money set aside in case, God forbid, something happens. Something that I've learned just growing up in the tax world and sort of dealing with financial advisors and financial planners is that rainy day funds, you always have to think about the what if moments, the what if moments that no one likes to talk about or bring up in a conversation because it can be negative and it can be sad and disheartening. But at the end of the day, you always need to prepare for what's the worst thing. And having that rainy day fund or having that emergency fund, like Joe said, is essential in life because you never know what life is going to throw at you. And then at the end of the day, if nothing happens, then here you could go later in your life and you have a chunk of money sitting there that now maybe isn't a rainy day fund anymore because you already have made smart investments and you're not worried about your financial ability to pay for your future. You never know what it's going to be, but those two things I wanted to highlight. And we're winding down to the end of the interview, Joe, but I have a few last questions for you. And the first is, what do you see as the biggest mistake when people want to start investing money or saving money in saving accounts or starting a retirement plan? What is the biggest mistake that you see happening before they come to your office and say, hey, I really need you to help me? Good question, Maverick. And you know, the biggest mistake first is not even taking that first initiative. They don't think about retirement. They only want to live today. They're not concerning there's going to be a point they're going to retire from their profession. So I think that, that that's really the first thing. But the second thing is not knowing a person or having a relationship or somebody that they could talk to. And I think your radio show or your podcast and, and your program and other programs that are out there, I think is great because it's teaching individuals 
what's out there, what's opportunities that they can take. And they just have to communicate and find out somebody they can trust and understand and have a relationship with. Because financial planning is all about relationship. When you're dealing with an advisor in investment world, they've got to have compassion for you. They've got to understand where you are. You know, they have to have some experience. And I know there's a lot of younger uh, advisors are coming in our industries that they starting to practice, but I would recommend find somebody who has at least 20 years experience in the industry and has success story, you know, has gone through some of those opportunities in life and they stood up that we talked earlier. You know, they learned from their past. And, you know, you don't want to deal with somebody that, you know, they're not successful themselves. If they're not successful, how are they going to help you? You know, talking about, you know, renting versus buying. I bought my first house when I was 18 years old. You know, remember, I only came to United States four years prior to that. So, you know, I opened my first IRA, I was 16 years old that I opened up an IRA. And back then, you could only put $2,000 in it. And the reason I did it, I had a CPA. He said, you know what? You're going to pay tax this year working in a restaurant. I said, well, what do I do? He said, put it in an IRA. I said, what is an IRA? So he shared with me what it was. So I went to a brokerage house at the time, opened up an IRA. I bought some rental properties when I was in my early 20s. So, uh, you know, and I continue investing in the stock market. So the key is really understanding there is opportunity out there and go for it. Don't hesitate because the failure that I see is people, they don't take that next initiative. They go to work every day. They got a good education. They got a great job. They got a good household. But unfortunately, they're not being wise about what they have in their pocket. Like you said, they're putting it in a shoebox. You shouldn't put money in a shoebox. you got to make that money work as hard as you work for it. Because if you don't work as hard as you work for it, you waste your time. Yeah, absolutely. And because you brought up financial advisors and financial planning, obviously, that's what you are. I want to talk about that for a little bit because I think it intimidates people. What does it usually cost to have Joe in your life? What what does that usually cost someone? So good question. Again, there is no fee for meeting a financial advisor. They should not charge you an initial fee. There are advisors that'll charge you a flat fee, but historically we see in today's world, we as a financial advisors, we want to help families, individuals to be successful in what they do. So our meetings are complimentary. I do a lot of pro bono work for my church family and organization around my community. And the reason that I do what I do, because I love what I do. I see the success stories that I hear. It gets me motivated to get up every morning. I love what I do. I don't mind helping somebody if they have a question or if they need to get a direction because I'd rather you know it before you do it so you know where you're going with open eyes than making a mistake and then try and go back and fixing it. So ideally, your financial advisor that you look for should not charge you any hourly fee or initial fee. But in fact, as you start building a relationship, then they will explain to you if there is a management fee to manage your portfolio. Or as I said at the beginning, there are transactional advisors, which basically they charge you a commission when they invest your money. So best thing is go to our website is www.joseph.com. Racy spells J-O-S-E-P-H. Last name is R-A-I-S-S-I dot com. And all my information is in there and you could request information and we'll be glad to follow up with you and help you and direct you where you need to be. And we will also link that website on the podcast website, tbotbpod.com. So you can also go directly to his website or if you forget it and you always remember the podcast website, you can absolutely go there. And when this episode goes live, the information will absolutely be on the website. So make sure to check that out. Few last questions for you, Joe. I always like to talk about advice for the listeners that may be interested in working in the field that you are a leader in and one of the best of the best in. So with 
all of that being said and knowing that you're one of the best of the best and knowing that you're a leader, what advice do you have to those that are in college, maybe fresh out of college, that wish to follow in the same footsteps as you being a financial advisor, being a financial planner? What would you say to them? I think it's one of the greatest opportunities if you like working with numbers and you are detail-oriented, that you're willing to take time. Uh, if you have compassion for others, is a great opportunity and it's not that complicated. It just really, again, is a desire to help others and learning the business does take time. Uh, you do have to have certain certification and qualification, but those are doable. It's just a matter of your desire getting in this industry. And, and the greatest, as I said earlier, greatest joy that I get when I see people's dream come true. You know, I've been in this industry close to 40 years now. And so I, over these last 40 years, I've seen a lot of success stories that I'd love to see more of them and see more people doing it because unfortunately, our industry, we are short in advisors. You know, uh, our average age is 65 and the young advisors are not getting to this industry and they need to start thinking about opportunities that is available for them because these 65-year-olds, they are going to get retired and they are going to sell their practice to somebody. So there is opportunity out there for young listeners. I love that. I appreciate you saying that. And I, you know, it's funny, I haven't really thought about if I have any friends that are going into financial advising and I don't, I can't rack my brain and think of one that is, which is crazy. That's the, it's crazy because I feel like, you know, even five, 10, 15 years ago, people were wanting to get into that. People were wanting to go into that industry either obviously prior to 2008. So maybe not uh, you know, it seems like that was just a few years ago, but in reality, it's 2021. So we get, we got to keep track of time. Just like you said, it goes by too fast and we don't put enough value on it, just like you said. But before I ask you the final question of the interview with, is one that I ask everyone, I want to give you a chance to say anything that you think we missed or that you think has importance that we didn't touch on. Is there anything or do you think we pretty much covered the basics of everything we could? I think you did really good, Maverick. You really put it together for the listeners. Uh, there's a lot of highlight areas that we touch bases, really not so much detail, but the reality is, you know, we could take hours and hours talking about different subjects. But the reality is, if you haven't started anything, go ahead, start today. You know, it's almost like years ago, somebody says, hey, when was the best time plant that palm tree? One guy says 30 years ago, the next guy said today. So today is the day. So if you're thinking about today, tomorrow for your success story, start planning now. Start working on that plan and, and you will become successful. It's just going to take some time, but you know what? It's just like anything else in life. If you work for it, you earned it and you'll appreciate what you accomplished because you did it yourself. Absolutely. And you know, Joe, I always tell the listeners that this show is to build a block, a foundation that they can build upon. So you're exactly right. We touched on the basics. We touched on the general stuff. And, you know, we'll have to have you back on to talk about more in-depth things and topics. But I like to use this so that now after a listener has listened to this episode, they can come to you and they can say, okay, I already know some basics, right? Now I can build off of that. They don't have to ask you these questions or they don't have to be fearful that you're going to judge them if they don't know these questions, which obviously you never would, but that's how people feel sometimes. And that's how I make these questions up is, you know, what are the questions that the people want to know? So I appreciate that. But for the last question of the interview, and it's one that I ask every single guest that comes on the show, it is, Joe, what do you wish you knew when you were in your early 20s? And it's not about financial, it's just about life in general. That's a great question. You know, there's so many things we could change. If that one thing that I would change really would spend more time with family. Because as a young man, I had put my hat on and went to work. You know, worked 14, 16-hour shifts, basically. I worked two jobs, school, so on and so on. But end of the day, as I look back, I wish I had spent more time with my parents, my sisters, my loved ones, because, and you know, they, they're not going to be here forever. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And 
that is one thing that I feel blessed that COVID happened is I got to spend the most time I've ever spent with my family. And I feel very blessed for that because I was always hustle and bustle, traveling at school, never really home. And I think that's something that people overlook about COVID. You want to focus on the bad. They want to focus on this and that. But in reality, if you take a step back and you try and look at the positives, and I try and do that in a a lot of situations, I don't want to say every because I would be lying because I'm human and I don't look at the positives. But when I look at the positives of COVID, I see a lot of things. And the one that always stands out to me is me being able to spend time with my family. And also that's a new answer. No one has ever answered that question in that way. And again, just like I say, everything on the, as I've said, every time thus far in the interview, I appreciate that. And I love that answer because I genuinely do. And I felt that way. And for all you young listeners out there that think you're too cool to hang out with your parents or you're too cool to hang out with your family, you're absolutely not. And one day you may see your life flash before your eyes and you might be, you know, older, you might be in your 80s and wish you spent more time with your family. So I, Joe, I hope the listeners really take into consideration everything we've talked about, but also the last part that you mentioned. So I want to thank you for coming on to the best of the best, sharing your knowledge. Your experience is obviously out of this world. You've been a leader in the industry. You've been one of the best of the best. So I know the listeners will really utilize and appreciate everything you've taught to them thus far. And again, his website will be linked on his quote unquote profile on the guest tab of the podcast website, tbotbpod.com. So thank you, Joe, for coming on the show. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you so much, Maverick. Before I get out of here, I need to go over a few disclaimers because Raymond James is a part of this podcast in a way that their affiliate, Joe, was the guest on today's show. So any opinions are those of the speaker and not necessarily those of Raymond James. This material is being provided for informational purposes only and is not a complete description, nor it is a recommendation. Investments mentioned may not be suitable for all investors. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing involves risk and you may incur a profit or loss regardless of strategy selected. Every investor's situation is unique and you should consider your investment goals, risk tolerance, and time horizon before making any investment. Prior to making an investment decision, please consult with your financial advisor about your individual situation. The example used for the rule of 72 is a hypothetical illustration and is not intended to reflect the actual performance of any particular security. Further performance cannot be guaranteed and investment yields will fluctuate with market conditions. Raymond James and its advisors do not offer tax or legal advice. You should discuss any tax or legal matters with the appropriate professional. In a fee-based account, clients pay a quarterly fee based on the level of assets in the account for the services of a financial advisor as part of an advisory relationship. In deciding to pay a fee rather than commissions, clients should understand that the fee may be higher than a commission alternative during periods of lower trading. Advisory fees are in addition to the eternal expenses charged by mutual funds and other investment company securities. To the extent that clients intend to hold these securities, the internal expenses should be included when evaluating the cost of a fee-based account. Clients should periodically reevaluate whether the use of an asset-based fee continues to be appropriate in in servicing their needs. A list of additional considerations as well as the fee schedule is available in the firm's form ADV Part 2 as well as the client agreement. Raymond James is not affiliated with nor endorses the services of Levy & Associates. Like I said in the intro of this topic, this is one of the most important topics, conversation, interviews, however you want to put it, that I have had on the show and that you need to know about in life. Almost every successful person I talk to just in life always says how important it is to surround yourself with great people in the industries that matter. For example, a great tax company what you already know, you should visit the website levytaxhelp.com if you need help with that. But of course, a financial advisor like Joe Racy. Anyone I've brought on the show thus far 
I have done my due diligence on it and I know that they are some of the best of the best in their industries. And these are the type of people that you want to be using for the services that they offer because number one, they've already been vetted, but number two, you know that other successful people are utilizing their services. Like he said, if your financial advisor isn't successful in life, then what the hell? How are you maybe going to be successful? And of course, it's, there's different ways to measure it, but that's like going to a personal trainer who is overweight. That would, it doesn't make sense, right? Like that's their resume is going to be their body because if their body is not in shape, then you can't expect them to get yours in shape. That's always my thought on a topic like that. So again, I said in the middle of the episode, go back and re-listen to this episode. This is one of those episodes that you are absolutely gonna wanna go listen because you will always learn something new when you listen for the second time because of the amount of information that was thrown at you in the span of a little over an hour. This was a longer episode, but it was a very important topic. That's it for this week, everyone. Continue to be a leader, always lead by example, and always be learning. Thank you all once again for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success.